one of the greatest gifts is putting your head down, going hard to work for something and attaining it. So what's this podcast all about? This financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. We're back in studio, and we've got another special edition of Teach Your Children, the summer series. Today, we're going to get into something that is going on again, and it has to do with this child tax credit that we received with our stimulus money way back in the days of COVID. Not if I have more children, I get a tax credit? Eh, Not quite that. This more has to do with some of the stimulus money that happened through that lovely pandemic episode. Well, guess what? There's still more. There's still more. All of that money that was authorized under the first several stimulus packages hasn't all been distributed yet. Why? Ah, It just hasn't been yet. I don't know. Maybe the government- Supply chain? They Probably part supply chain and part they haven't figured out what to spend the money on yet. And guess what? Thank you, inflation, for rearing your ugly head because that gave our federal government a reason to distribute the remaining stimulus money. So we're going to talk about this, what to do, with this stimulus money, because if you aren't aware, more is coming between you and your spouse and any dependent children you have at home. And there are some steps that you can take with this stimulus money that's a little counter to the culture. That's a little different than what Madison Avenue would like you to do. Let's go. Summertime, 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 summertime. You were almost on on pitch with that. Almost. So we have lots to go over today. I mean, it is just, even though it's the, the hazy days of summer and we should be on a lawn chair sipping a, you know, icy cold drink here in hot, sunny Northern California, or as you like to say, upstate California. Absolutely. We can't because there's just too much to talk about in financial sobriety. Well, it's, I love the fact that you said school's in session a couple episodes ago. I always used to be petrified of this idea of summer school. I mean, I didn't like school as it was and summer school, the idea of summer school, I just dreaded it. But here we are talking about some of our very favorite things and really enjoying this idea of summer school. Summer school was never an option for me. Oh, why is that? Because of our our alarm code. Oh, right, right. The four digit alarm code that went W-O-R-K. Yeah. You worked all summer. Well, and that's what we're doing. We're working all summer, but we're bringing a little bit of school to the world. And this concept of teach your children, I'm having a lot of fun sharing our experience Like you said, after the last few episodes and the theme we've got going for the summer, there's lots to discuss when it comes to parents teaching their children about this idea of being very intentional with money. And another way to look at it is is kind of being good stewards of their money. But before we get into that, I was playing around on Google last night, looking at some of the headlines and topics and things that are trending. And one of the things I, I would love to start doing is bringing more of what's happening now in real time into our conversations and how it relates to being intentional with our money. 
So I have a new favorite number, and I want to see if you're familiar with this number. 8675309. Close. Oh. It's a number that also has letters in it. Is it a license plate? It could be. Okay. It might be when you hear the number. Do you know what SB349 is? I think that's the, that's the code to happiness. It could be if you live in the state of Rhode Island. Oh, Rhode Island. Yeah. I've got some pretty exciting news to report from the great state of Rhode Island. Hit me. Let's this, go. Yeah, this was something that was picked up. I, I saw this just a couple of days ago. It's a story out of the Dallas, Texas Morning News. This columnist, Wesley Messamore, he reported this on June 17th. Here's the headline, quote, Rhode Island makes financial literacy a required class for all high school students. Key the biblical music. Key the angels on high singing the Gloria. I mean, are you oh, kidding yeah. me? Well, this is, this is something. Wait a second. Well, stop. The state of Rhode Island yes. has mandated financial literacy at the high school level. I'm getting the chills. Yes. Seriously, I'm getting the chills yes. at the thought of that. Well, you're going to be blown away at all the details on this because what I read in the article, the way the article opened up was it talked about how over half of U.S. adults have this thing called financial anxiety. Really? Right. Shocking. Shocking. <sighs> I have no anxiety over money. Come on. I never talked about For it in For 25 studio. years, that's what we've talked about with people. So what keeps you up at night about money? Exactly. This is just validating what I think you and I have known and what our financial sobriety community has known for a long time. So that must not be the case in the state of Rhode Island. Well, soon to be. Soon to be. Because we, we should either move there or, or have the show, like, concentrate there. Well, I just find a little bit of serendipity, coincidence. Is that on the beach in Rhode Island? Well, I funny you should say that as I just got back from spending some time at the beach in Rhode Island. Oh, so you got this bill passed? Sure. Absolutely. This is all me. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, that's what everybody tells me. At least in the state of Rhode Island. Okay. Because it seems like I went there, came home, and found this article. Come on. That is incredible. I know. Well, what is amazing about this is not only did the article claim that over half of U.S. adults are financially anxious, but that three-quarters of people in the United States today are living paycheck to paycheck. That just— I don't think that number has budged yeah. in 25 years. Well— I don't think it has moved a tenth of a decimal place from when I started, when you and I started in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Well, it, nobody's done anything about it, but I guess the state of Rhode Island is now looking to do something about it. They're looking which is to be a help, leader. Which is going to help the generation of young adults that are coming into the work world. Absolutely. Fiscally, you know, with some fiscally responsible tools in their tool bag. Well, we can thank one Rhode Island school for kind of starting this whole thing. And it gives me hope that what we're doing here with our podcast could potentially start even more, whether it's here locally in California or that butterfly effect that spreads out, because it was one Rhode Island high school, Tolman High School, that years ago created a personal finance class that has been wildly successful. They've had such an incredible track record that their legislature actually created a bill, this bill SB 349, that Governor Dan McGee signed into law the week before this news was picked up by the morning news. Hey, I've got something you can get me for Christmas. What's that? I know it's summertime. What is it? And you're like all head down and all kind of serious on getting through our agenda today, but I'm going to derail you every chance I get. Please do. You know what I'd like for Christmas? I'd like whatever high school educator that is teaching that Tolman High School personal finance class on the show. Ooh. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. That is somebody we have to interview. Hopefully we can afford that. I'm sure we can. <laughs> 
That's a good Christmas present. The fact that it's been wildly successful, I would love to be able to interview that that educator and hear their story. Yeah, we're going to hear some anecdotal stories of how it's having impact on those students and how long it's been around and you know what what are the topics that are the most pressing. So sorry to no, sorry that's, to that's, sidecar. That's okay. I mean, I, I think we find how Tolman High School has been doing this. I mean, I, I think there's a lot more to to understand here about this new financial literacy law. What, what I find incredibly interesting is that even though this was a high school that did this, what the law is now going to require is that there's a council in charge of all of this, right? A bunch of people in government that are in charge of this, where on elementary and secondary education, they want to develop and approve this statewide academic standard for the instruction of what they call consumer education in public high schools. And they want this done no later than the end of this year. And, and this is where laws kind of get a little goofy because they're talking about wanting to get all of this done by 1231 of this year, but yet most of the requirements won't kick in until later next year, which will be part of our conversation here. Sure. So when we look at this consumer education in Rhode Island, and we'll get a little insight as to maybe what that teacher in Tolman High School was trying to do, because what the state is now looking at requiring for a curriculum, and, and again, this is what it says in the bill, I, I read the bill, must include but is not limited to installment purchasing, which I think might be a fancy way of like layaway, what we've talked about before, credit card payments, mm -hmm. budgeting, comparison of prices, credit and law, employment and income, rights and responsibilities in the marketplace, money management. Stop. Right? You're killing me right now. This is unbelievable. Right? I, I When I saw this yesterday, we had a whole... I had a whole outline prepared for our conversation today, continuing from the last episode on just different tools and ways to start yeah. speaking with your children. And this this just had to be talked about. Absolutely. This is, this, this is awesome. Mind-blowing stuff. I mean, maintaining credit, saving, investing, protecting and insuring assets. Huh? These are all things that if you live in the state of Rhode Island, you're going to, to be able to graduate high school, you have to have competency in all of these areas. Imagine for a minute. I love this kind of picture in your mind's eye kind uh, of huh, huh, thing. Let's go. Come on. I'm there. What does the state of Rhode Island, its economy, its communities, its neighborhoods, what does that look like if every student graduating in high school comes out with this knowledge? The ripple effect of that is incredible as those young adults make their way into the next level of their education, whatever that may look like, and the ripple effect of that. And you and I have talked so many times about rule number one is protect your confidence. Yes. And how often when you sit down with a new client, fill in the blank, 42, 52, 62, 72, 82 years old, do they have no confidence around money? Oh, gosh. 99% of the time? When they first come in? Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine a generation of kids as this continues to kind of ripple out into hopefully other states where they have at least a basic understanding of these core curriculum concepts. Yes. You wonder why we're a financial hot mess in this country. Yeah. Well, because the very leaders that are running the show don't have any fiscal understanding or responsibility on top of it. Absolutely. But perhaps tomorrow's leaders. Exactly. Because that's of this. that's well, where this gets so exciting. Oh, absolutely. That, I'm going to get, you know, I've never had a vanity plate. Have you ever had a vanity plate? Of course I have. 
So my kids the other day, we were riding around. Come on, dude. Who are you talking to? I know. Big deal over here. Yeah. We saw a neighbor's vanity plate. And one of my kids, I've got enough of them, I don't remember which one it was, said, does that cost money? <laughs> and I said, good on you. That Yes, it does. Now, I don't know how much it costs, so big deal over here. How much do they cost a year? Well, this was back on the way, 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 way back when on the when East there were only days. four, there were only four digits on yeah, the license plate? In the New York days. And, and no, I never personally had a vanity plate, but my mom did. My grandmother did. They JG60 was my mom's license plate. Okay, this just in. In the state of California, did you know what a vanity plate costs? No, but it's got to be a fortune. I always thought they were like 150 bucks a year kind of thing. Yeah. $30 one-time fee, $15 renewal with your registration. I could pay for that with the change ish. I find in my couch cushions. Ish, ish, ish. That's awesome. Ish. So, again, if somebody takes SB 349, I'm going to be really upset, and I'm going to track you down and haunt you. No, just kidding. But- that is the vanity plate. Obviously, you go specialized with the palm trees or the Tahoe or the you know the, the the other specialty plates that exist. That's an extra. That's an upgrade. Of but course, it's just California. wanted to give you that. Just wanted to give you that little update. Don't you love sitting in a traffic light and and somebody has a vanity plate and you're like you wonder what the hell does that mean? Right. I try to sound it out phonetically to see what the yeah. And I'm a bad phonetics person because I half the time I'm like yeah I. I it must be a it must be a foreign language that I don't know because I don't know. But I would love it because everybody would be like SB three forty nine SB three forty. I wonder what that means to that person because they'll clearly, Google it because clearly it's a vanity plate. Well, they'll Google it and they'll find out. All right, enough of that already. I think this is fantastic. Oh, it's an it's an awesome start. It gives me what, hope. Well, and what I'm most excited about is when you actually look at what they're going to do to create this by April of next year. The state is requiring this council to come up with a list of Here's a cool new word for us, micro-credentialing programs that are actually going to train educators in these skills necessary to deliver all of this content. So what that tells me is, is that the state of Rhode Island is not necessarily relying on the state of Rhode Island and the government to teach these concepts. They're actually looking for existing curriculum that is out there to create this in the schools. And one of the big missing pieces when I look at that list that I'm not seeing is creating this foundation for making sure children are clear on their personal values. These filters, these lenses that we talk about through our Clarity Compass exercise that sets the foundation for how children go about using money, whether they're spending it, saving it, investing it. I like macroeconomics better than micro. Yeah, well, we're going with micro-credentialing on this one, brother. Okay. So I, I think there's going to be great opportunity for the conversation of financial sobriety to potentially be lobbed up to the folks at Rhode Island. Because let me tell you where my skeptic goes when I read an article like this. My skeptic says, do we really want government, government involved in teaching our children about personal finance, a government with trillions of dollars of debt that spends more hey, money hey, than hey, it makes? Slow down there, Beavis. They are brilliant at the following. Who? The government. Okay. They are brilliant at installment purchasing. Ah, going back to the list. They are they are extraordinary on credit and the law. <laughs> they sure are. And maybe not so much on the money management and main well, they clearly have maintained credit because we're still the cleanest 
shirt in a dirty pile of laundry. Well, they are getting better at money management because, the, at least from a federal government standpoint, they violated all their charters by investing federal money in the stock market, right? It used to be a time where they could only do treasury bonds and nice, safe stuff like that. But Sure. Well, then they're doing well today with the stock market at an, near an all-time high. Of course they are. So They should take all the credit for that. So my, my skeptic says that maybe the government needs to learn a little bit of financial sobriety before they get in the business of teaching. So seeing that part of the bill that says they're actually going to go out into the universe, into the private sector to help develop this curriculum based on whatever exists out there, that helps me feel really optimistic about this program. And I think I just figured out the math. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think I figured out why it's called micro-credentialing. Ooh, do tell. Because only one quarter of people live not paycheck to paycheck. Ah. That's the majority. So that would be micro. If it was the majority, it'd be macro. There you go. Okay, just there we go. Very good. All right. I just wanted to share that news. I thought it was really exciting. You know, I had the little angel sitting on my right shoulder and the little devil sitting on my left shoulder as I was reading this, and they're both screaming into my ear, the angel telling me how exciting and awesome this is, and the little devil screaming at me saying, oh my God, government's going to ruin this for us. So I'm, I'm overall optimistic about this. It's a start. And that, I think, is the, the biggest part of it, is yes. that some, I'm, I'm saying this intentionally, somebody, right, in this case, the somebody is the, the governor of the state of Rhode Island, and the legislature of the state of Rhode Island, has agreed to be brave enough, and kudos to them, for saying enough. Enough already. Yes. We need to do something about this. Well, and it couldn't come at a better time. It really couldn't. Because there is so much in the money world. I mean, when, when I think back to when you and I got started in the business, the money world has just gotten so much more complicated. There are so many more moving parts when it comes to some of this personal finance stuff. We're not doing that today? I don't think we're going to get to it today because there, there, I think there's something more pressing that's happening today that we really, really, really need to talk about. Ooh, I know what it is. Really? I didn't know the first one, but I know the next one. You know what the next one is? What I do you do. think the next one is? I do. It's, it's got to be the child tax credit. It has to be. It has to be because by the time this episode actually drops, there's going to be something like 35 million families will have received a direct deposit for this child tax credit that have no idea it's coming. Tell me more. Well, I think we need to talk about this. So for those of us who were not necessarily paying attention because you and I have done a brilliant job of encouraging each other and the people in our world to shut the cable news off, back in March, President Biden signed what's called the American Rescue Plan. And included in that rescue plan was this thing called a child tax credit. If you go Google child tax credit, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that comes up on it. And the way this child tax credit is working is that we have right now about 65 million kids in our country representing about 35 million families that are going to start receiving that credit now. So for a long time, we've been able to take a tax deduction for supporting our children when we go file our taxes. But now we have in this new bill an actual tax credit and for 2021, the maximum credit is $3,600 for children under the age of 6 and $3,000 for children between the ages of 6 and 17. So this is per tot. This is per tot. And it's not a deduction where I actually get to reduce my taxable income by that this amount. This is cash in the bank. It's an actual credit. It's actual money in the bank. And what's unique about this is instead of getting that tax credit when we file our taxes next April— 
we're actually getting half of that credit in the form of monthly direct deposits starting July 15th of 2021. So again, by the time that this show airs, there's going to be lots and lots of people who've seen a direct deposit show up in their bank account that may or may not know where that came from. Okay, so a couple moments ago, you talked about your skeptic. Yes. And my skeptic is raging. Ooh, I love when your skeptic rages. Because, please don't spend this money. This is not meant for the new shiny gizmo. This is my opinion on what you should do with this money. I was saying. Certainly, certainly, this is my opinion. And this may require, in a lot of these cases, extraordinary discipline. Now... If you can't put food on the table, if you can't pay your rent, if you can't put gas in your car, then you're going to spend this money. Of course, but I would please, if that were the case. Please do not spend this money. I won't. On something frivolous. I won't. I promise. Okay. And I it, there's a calculator that let me go figure out, and we're going to talk about this, of how much I'm going to get based on where my income is. Right. And I sure am not talking to you because I know you're intentional with your money. Well, but you are because we're sitting here talking to one another, and I promise I won't go spend this. And All right. I've got some plans on what I'm doing with the $167 a month I'm getting between now and, and the end of the year, and we'll talk about that. What an incredible opportunity to teach your children. Yes. Whether it be investing, whether it be saving it for a rainy day, whether it be giving some of it away. There's an, there's an incredible amount of opportunity here. And the, the reason my skeptic goes a little wonky is that more often than not, I think when people are given money— they spend it. Of course. It's called lifestyle inflation. We've right? talked about it. We We've have written talked about, about it. it. And that's the whole concept behind why if you haven't paid for something or you've worked to earn the money and that whole tangible thing that we've talked about mm -hmm. with the money in your hand, mm -hmm. because when you're, when you're just given the money, it's just poof. It just landed in your bank account. Yeah. So, Well, and especially when you look at how much money this could possibly be. $3,600 I mean, potentially per child. Per child. And if, if, you know, if you don't have a calculator in front of you, I know simple math, I need a calculator. This boils down to 300 bucks a month for children under the age of six, 250 a month if you have kids between the ages of six and 17, and there's no cap to the number of children. If you have four children, five children, six children, there's a lot of money potentially coming in. And it may have hit your bank account by the time we're talking about this. I'm sure this has phase outs, right? I'm, I'm sure the phase outs are in the $75,000, $150,000 a year range yeah, for you're close. individuals and couples. What I love about this is that you've been one of the most important teachers Aww. in my life. Oh, thanks, Dad. I know. You have. I mean, just from the day I met you. As you've always said, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I became ready to be teachable in 2005, and you and a number of other people showed up in my life. So it's kind of cool when we get to reverse roles a little bit, and I get to share some of this information with Fabulous. you that I've learned. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. I love it. But you're right. There are people who qualify, and then there are going to be people who don't qualify. So this is by no means something that everybody who's with us here today is going to see a benefit from. I think the vast majority of people that are here today are going to see something from this. So in effect, most people are going to qualify for this. The full credit, the full $3,600 is available to married couples with children who file their taxes jointly and have adjusted gross incomes less than $150,000. Okay. If you're not married and you're filing single, it's $75,000. Yeah. And, and there's definitely some controversy around that, right? 
a single parent with four children should get just as much as a married couple with four children. So there's been some talk about if this were to get extended, sure. whether there's some true up on that. Sure. Now, there is some phase out. When you get above $150,000, you're going to see these benefits start getting reduced. So the credit phases out for taxpayers who make more, and it ceases for individuals earning $95,000 and married couples earning $170,000 filing jointly. So when you look at taxpayers who make more than that that'll still be eligible for the tax credit, they are. It's just less amount. Sure, it's, yeah. just, it's lesser. Yeah, lesser. Lesser. Not more. Right. More is better, but in this case, lesser is still something. It does drop to $2,000 per child under 17. But for 2000 bucks a kid, if you're making less than $200,000 annually, but for $400,000 for married couples. So even as a single filer making $200,000 a year or a married couple making up to $400,000 a year, you're still going to get $2,000 in tax credits per child. Now, if you look at how this credit is being applied, let's go to that bracket of up to $400,000. Right. You have one child. You're going to get a $2,000 tax credit, which means you're going to get $167 a month between July and December, which is half the credit. And then you're going to get a direct $1,000 credit on your tax return when you file it in April of next year. That sounds an awful lot to me like an installment purchasing concept. <laughs> well, you said they're good at it. They're really, really good at it. So $167 a month per child coming into your, I'm assuming it's direct deposit into your bank. You don't have to send up a flare or a carrier pigeon or a Western Union or something to get the money. The flare is a good idea, but you're right. Like, like the stimulus checks that we just saw out, most of the monthly child tax credit is going to be sent via direct deposit. If the IRS has your direct deposit information from your tax return, that's pretty much how you're going to get the monthly credit. But if you don't have direct deposit, the IRS can also be sending some paper checks to families. And in the future, they might send payments via debit card. There sure. hasn't been a lot of clarity on that yet. Right, right. But generally, if you're a tax filer, they've got your bank account information. They're going to send it to you. What is the number one thing you would want to help your kids do with $167 a month? First of all, first of all, let's let's think of it as is this your money or their money? Technically, it's my money. Technically, I absolutely agree with you. Right. Conceptually, well, in my family, I'm going to make it for my son. I I don't need yeah, this, yeah. I, this, I, I, this absolutely. extra, Love right? It. How can you use $167 as a learning tool for your son to benefit from? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is handing him the $167 and then putting my hand back out and saying, now you can make your contribution for all the electricity you use in this house and all the food that you consume. Sure. We could very easily make that a rent payment Ab back certainly. to mom and dad. Sure. I, yeah. 100%. Right. I get that. Yeah. Ideally, what I'd like to teach him, or I should say reinforce to him, is this concept of paying myself first. Because I, I, I think that's something that we've gotten so backwards that, you know, paychecks come in. And we're immediately writing all of our checks out to pay our bills. And then hopefully there's a little bit left over at the end of the month. In my case, that was very rarely the situation. I think for about a millennial now, that's been the reverse order. Yes, absolutely. And fortunately, you put a book in my hand a number of years ago that helped me understand a different way to account for my personal balance sheet, which is to pay myself first at the beginning of every month. And another, we, we've talked about it on the show before, but the richest man in Babylon. Yeah. 
that is another beautiful book on the concept of paying yourself first. Yes. A, a more modern version of that is a book called Profit First. Profit First, yes. Yeah. And again, it, it teaches us how when money comes in, when the goes-ins and goes-outs are being dealt with every month, the money that comes in, whether it's 10%, 15%, 20%, right off the top, gets paid to me via the form of some savings account that is dedicated toward investing in myself. Right usually at a later date. So that's ideally what I'd like to start with with Lucas, who will be the the recipient of this, or at least he's the the qualifier in my family that allows me to get this benefit, yeah. is to sit down with him and show him with this $167, as little as 10% off the top is, let's take $16.70 and stuff that away into something that we can invest in you at a later date. And I would love that to actually be cash in an envelope. Ooh, that's a good idea. Have we ever talked about cash oh, maybe. in an envelope and maybe. how important that is? Yeah. Is, is Lucas familiar with the Upgrade Club? The Upgrade Club. I don't yeah. know. You'd have to ask him. Where, or the Trade-In Club, whatever you want to call it. Oh, where, your, oh your Trade-In Club yeah. with the $100 bills. The $100 bills. No, we haven't, we haven't started that club in our oh, house yet. Oh, see if it's catchy. Okay. See if it's catchy. That'd be a good idea. The, the Upgrade Club, it's worth talking again. You said you talked about when Jack was counting his money. Okay, well, that... That is a story from back in Methuselah's days. Ah. Uh, we have a fresher story. We have something fresh off the Google Trends. Nice. Which was last weekend. Jack comes to me on Sunday as we're going to go pick up some dinner. Go, hey, Dad, I got, I got some money I got to deposit at the bank. I'm like, really? Good for you. What do you got? He's like, I got 700 in cash and 200 in a check. Really? And was he, he out robbing houses? Because remember that traffic day, you said the best way to make money is go rob completely. houses. Completely. No, the little guy's been working. Wow. Some of it has been, you know, gifts from family for eighth grade promotion. Long story short, he's been working hard and he's got 700 in cash and he comes in and rips them off. You know, that's awesome. $700 bills. I would say all hundreds. All hundreds. Sweet. Right. And I'm thinking golf clubs at this point. I'm like, <laughs> hey, duh, I can. I've been wanting to go to Hagen Oaks and see my my good friend and get fit for some new clubs. Hashtag, anyway, hashtag club fitting Hagen Oaks. There we go. It's his money, not mine, obviously. Ah. So we go to the bank and put the ATM in, and he it was so it was so cute. I wish I could have videotaped it. He was so hesitant to put those seven hundred dollar bills into the wall. I don't blame him. And if we slow this down just for a second, if you think about it, it is kind of a funky concept. Like, I'm sticking $700 into a wall and it disappears. I'm feeding a brick wall money. Huh. It eats money. And then bleepity bleep, it shows up on my screen in a day? Mm -hmm. well, anyway. But that's what the system wants. So the, the concept of that the trade-in club, the upgrade club, on that $167 to get $200 bills in your hand is a cool feeling. Well, like you, you said when you've shared this story, you know, the upgrade club is as I collect money, I upgrade it to $100 I will bills. I will give you $100 bills. For the reason being, you, you shared this. You pe don't. Yeah, people don't spend $100 bills. You don't spend them. Right. Like you told the bank teller, I collect $100 bills. And she looked at you like you got 12 heads and Methuselahs Precisely. on your Precisely. Yeah. And that joke is going to last my lifetime. Absolutely. Because everybody, when I do that at the bank, is always like, huh? Really? I'm like, yeah, I collect them. Not like stamps, but just like in the bank. Yeah. So, I mean, get creative, mom and dad. Get creative with how can you best support, depending on the age of your child, right, depending on their general responsibility level, do you have a spender or do you have a saver? I'm thinking of clients where 
their kids are now in their 20s, and one is a spender and one is a saver. Mm -hmm. So if you gave them each $167, the spender already has $250 spent. Right. The saver won't do anything. Nothing's going to change, right? I often think some of that can be a little bit hardwired. So you got to meet them where they're at. You got to meet them wherever they are in the evolution of their experience and history with money. Well, let's let's make this simpler because I you're absolutely right. This this all depends upon lots of different factors like age and abilities and responsibilities and whether or not they subscribe to the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And maybe perhaps they don't choose as carefully as they should yet. You and I have talked about these three stages of parenting. We've talked about it recently. And I think we can provide a little bit of a framework of if you're a family like me, where you've got one child that qualifies for this credit, so 167 bucks a month is coming in, or if you're a family filing jointly with an adjusted gross income of 125 grand a year and you've got four children, that means $1,100 is getting deposited into your bank account on July 15th, August 13th, because the 15th falls on a Saturday. Yeah, and so on. And so on until the end of the year. I think we can provide a framework of maybe some ideas of whether you are still in that cop phase of parenting, where we've got little children where it's our job to basically do everything for them so that they don't harm themselves when they're not capable, or whether you're in that coach phase where maybe the children have gotten a little bit older and we're starting to let them do more for themselves, letting them fall down, skin their knees, so to speak, and feel the pain of what a skin knee feels like, or you've gotten to where you and I are with with the bulk of our children, you've, you've got a whole brood of them in there where you've got multiple phases. But for the most part, you and I are at that point of that consultant phase where our primary job is really to ask questions of our children and plant seeds for them to think about. So I'd love to frame some of these ideas of whether you've got 167 bucks a month coming in or, or 275 in the other example with yeah, four kids. Yeah, with lots of money coming in, 1100 bucks a month coming right. in. And, and again, let's just state the the obvious here that if, I mean, if you need it for food on the table, gas in the car. Do it. Disclaimer. Roof over your head, all those things, then take these concepts and you use them at a later time when it may be more, more appropriate. Well, and I think a little bit of delineation here, so to speak. I know for me personally, I've had a hard time seeing the difference between have to and want to when it comes to money. I have to have this because it's food on the table. I have to go out for sushi tonight because I have to eat. I mean, my, my head can get very, very clouded on what is sure. considered sure, sure, sure. necessity. I mean, yes. yes, you're right. If we're not paying our very basic foundational expenses and covering roof over our head and things like that, put it towards that. But I also think that we have to use a little bit of, of financial sobriety filters from an I deserve standpoint. If it's something that I deserve, do we want to check ourselves with that? I, I know for me, I could justify a lot of ways to use this money. Oh, there's absolutely a lot of ways to justify it. But in the framework and context of SB 349, <laughs> this is a wonderful opportunity. Yes. Whether it's 167 a month, 275 a month, whatever the number is, it is an opportunity to engage with your child on money. And we certainly teach and preach a lot about our beliefs, but your own beliefs are, are also very relevant to the conversation. Yeah. And maybe even a story of what money was like when you were a kid with your kid 
your child is is very relevant here. And one of the concepts that one of the ideas that I'm thinking of is if I had younger kids, this would be a chance to say, okay, here's $167 for the next month. And the burden, maybe not in the conversation with the child, but the burden is off of mom and dad for their fun. Well, that's what you did with your children. Absolutely. So here's $167. By all means, you're not supposed to spend all of it, right? Because you may want a shiny, sparkly thing at some point down the road. This is how you teach that discipline of don't spend it all today because there might be something you want down the road. Yeah. But if you want the Jamba Juice or the Noah's or the I wish I knew bagel places in Rhode Island because I just want to completely puff up any business in Rhode Island right now, it's it's that. It's give them the choice and control of how to spend some of this money so they're not coming to you with, can I have $10 for this or $20 yeah. for the movies or, right? And I'm starting to see that now. Our son Jack wanted to go to the movies the other night. And I said, are you good? You got money? He's like, oh, I got plenty of money, Dad. You're fine. You don't have to. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Victory. Do you think that's something that you could do in the cop phase or is that more coach phase when the kids I are think, a little bit older? I think you can do it in the cop phase because ultimately you want them to make mistakes with $167. Right. Not $167,000. Right. Yeah. Or $16,000. Right. Or $1,600. Right. Right. So you've got to approach this with that with that teacher's mindset or that that parent mindset, right? Synonymous words on teaching and parenting that mistakes are okay. Yeah. And you want to make mistakes at 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 22 Right. Years old. So the mistakes at 49 are not as painful. They're they're lesser. Yeah. Right. Not more. Absolutely. Well, this is teaching. I mean, what you've just described is is teaching your kids have a little skin in the game when it comes to the things they want in life. I think there's also an opportunity here, whether you're in the cop or coach phase, to teach them how to have a little skin in the game financially for the things they're going to need one day. I mean, how old were your children when you started talking with them about college and future? You remember? Yeah, they were like six months old. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. You bought them a little well, Harvard sweatshirt. No, the best part was they couldn't talk back. I mean, <laughs> they couldn't speak. So we've just been brainwashing them on these concepts since then. Youth. Yeah, I, I am amazed at how young children are when they're already starting to think about what college might be like. And, and it's wonderful. We should be talking to kids at a young age what this lifelong experience of education could look like for them and the benefits to it. I Again, one of my regrets, I wish I would have done more of that when my children were little so that they had a different appreciation for classroom education. But I get to see it everywhere. And, and one of the most profound experiences I've had with this was one of the wealthiest clients we ever worked with here in Roseville. These are people that could afford anything they want in eight lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And when they brought their two teenage boys in early in high school, to have a family meeting in the office and we were talking about college, mm-hmm. these boys were responsible for 50% of whatever their college costs were going to be. Yes. Even though mom and dad had saved all the money they would ever need for eight lifetimes, this was something that was important to them to teach their kids about having skin in their game. One of my favorite things about what we do for a living is how much we get to learn from the people we serve. I just I feel like this eternal student that's always learning from the people who walk through our door. It wasn't until I met that client that I got this thought in my mind that 
oh, wow, because my boys were still a few years away at this point from thinking about college. It's like, whoa, my kids could have some skin in the game. Even if I can afford to pay it, how much more seriously would they take their college experience if they were financially responsible for it? Well, I mean, this is really simple. So I have a question for you. Okay. Do you wash, detail, and vacuum out your rental car? No. Okay. My rental car? Yeah, your rental car. No. Do you own the rental car? No. No. Oh, I see where you're so going. So when you're giving, took me a minute. Yeah. I love it. I love stumping you. I'm like, where the hell is he going? I with love this? the little. Ooh, where is he going? Yeah. I don't if own it, so I don't care about it. Exactly. If you're given something, I, I mean. One of the greatest gifts is putting your head down, going hard to work for something, and attaining it. Yeah. If it's a piece of paper and it's a degree, great. The whole concept that you're sharing there of that client is incredibly powerful. We ask the question with our individual clients when we're talking about college of, well, tell us about your college experience. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would almost say it's a 50-50 on... I worked my way through school. I had odd jobs. I had to, it took me five years. I had to da-da-da. And the partner, spouse, whoever, the other side of the relationship, you know, it was all paid for. Right. Right. Who, and, who's going to value that relationship and, and, more generally? And, and trust me, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get why people just want to stroke a check. I get why the grandparent who has money coming out the wazoo. Just wants to pay for the grandkid. Wants to just yeah. make it easy. Yeah. But there's something in the crucible that happens when you put your head down and you work hard towards something. And as John Houghton, Houston, what was his name from the E.F. Hutton commercial used to be? Oh, good Lord, you, you're way dating you me. You earn it. <laughs> I love those ads. Yeah. Because it was, there was so much conviction around the you earn it part. Yeah. And that's what you have here is an opportunity to create something with your child whether it be around the conversation of saving for something like a college and they've got skin in the game or a new bike or a new scooter or whatever the heck it might be, mm-hmm. they might want to start a little business. They might want to start a little bake sale. They might want to start a lawn mowing business. Do people still do that? This could be your own little uh, venture capital money to help your child start their own business. I mean, right? I mean, one of the things that I, I would love to see if, if I were in a position – where we still had some college expenses coming down the road. Fortunately for my children, that's all been handled already as far as where they are with school. And, you know, Miles is covering his own freight when it comes to his his flight, his flight school and things like that. And Lucas is still kind of undecided. But if I were in a position where I had an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old child, and I really haven't sat with them yet and intentionally put anything in place with them, even if I've been saving on my own, I might think to use some of this child tax credit to walk your child physically into your local bank or brokerage firm and help them get started opening a 529 plan for college savings. And there's something important about actually physically walking into the office to do this where they have to interact with a human being, fill out paperwork, and actually take some tangibility into the process rather than just going online and typing it all up and doing it electronically, much the same way we talked about in the last couple episodes, this idea of the tangibility of cash, of cashing that paycheck. There's something very valuable to that process of walking your child into that office and opening up that 529 account, which they will then have skin in their college purchases, their college expenses of the future. 
but it's something that gets them into this idea of systematically putting money away with this pay yourself first approach, right? It's not pay yourself first so I can go buy a new Gizmoch. It's pay yourself first so I can invest in the most valuable investment I could ever put money into, which is myself. What could be more valuable than investing in my education, right? If I'm eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, and I'm taking the long game, and I've got parents who are teaching me about taking the long game, right? Where not this weekend? Where it's yeah, it's not about becoming a PhD by Sunday, or the the pleasurable I deserve experience this weekend. Correct. I think what would be very helpful in one of our upcoming shows is to highlight some of the websites and companies out there that are doing things what I'll call the youth movement, right? For the younger investor, for the younger saver, for someone that is getting their, you know, their legs under them, as we like to say, when it comes to money. And I think that would be an interesting show if we were to profile several of those companies. And I'm sure they exist. I can't speak very intelligently at this point, but I know they're out there. What do you think? Well, I got some good news for you. You did that already? I just... It's amazing how things just kind of happen the way they happen, because you're mentioning this. And last night I was standing at the gas pump at 1030 at night on my way home from a little tennis match I had late yesterday, and I needed to get gas in the car. You know how on the gas stations they got these little TV screens to keep you distracted? I got to say that annoys the bejesus out of me. It's so smart, though. Think about it. Because when I turned and looked at how much that fill-up cost me, I am so glad I had that little TV monitor to distract me but from that pain. don't they want me to go in and buy a bottle of sugar water or uh, salty snacks? They were closed, so only the gas pump oh, was open. Oh, at 1030. Yeah, 1030 sure. at night. Right? Not like 8 o'clock where the restaurants by me are closed now? Exactly. Okay. No, this was 1030 at night, and even the gas stations were closed. But they had this little TV monitor, and the very first advertisement on the TV monitor was for two different financial services companies designed directly for helping parents teach their children about financial literacy, helping children establish credit by being able to link a bank account to a very kid-friendly credit card. That seems like a perfect pause. It blew my mind, and I can't wait to talk more about it on our next episode. So stick around. There's more. But for today, my friend, you say it. It's your turn. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged 
encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.